This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. If you'd played probably another five minutes, which you should have done, then we probably would have won the game, let alone drawed it. Welcome to the My Own Men Said podcast. I'm David Michael, your host and editor of MyOwnMenSaid.com. Joining me to discuss what some would bill, if you didn't watch the game, as a seven-goal thriller, but it was more like a seven-goal... Buzz killer. <laughs> Joining me, fresh from his final gig, probably of the year, in Hull, Mr. Chris Budd. Welcome. How you doing? The last dance, and- yeah, done. <laughs> And Northern Ireland's Mandalorian, Mr. Phil Shaw. This is the way. I actually watched the first episode uh, a couple of days ago, actually. I think it's the the closest thing to the original three Star Wars. It kind of remains, keeps the aesthetic and the vibe. It's almost like they didn't need to make those other six films and the other kind of knockoff crap that came along with it. No, but they need the merchandising. Well, yeah, no, exactly. Plenty of baby Yodas being sold for Christmas this year. Yeah. Moving on, before we uh, get into uh, the uh, the Saints game and everything that uh, comes with it, uh, we will also discuss quickly the recent fan consultation group meeting with Mr. Christian Perslow, the Villa CEO. We'll take a look at some of the issues uh, that are playing out in the rest of the football world from uh, recent championship shenanigans to uh, the San Siro death sentence and uh, football policing units as their opinion on the idea of uh, fans drinking uh, within the sight of pitch uh, once we return and in the underrated or overrated section we will try to make entertainment out of Mr. Marcus Olbeck. Right, first up Villa News uh, another PPV pay-per-view game has been announced for Villa, that's four on the trot against Arsenal I mean, that's almost 60 quid, isn't it, for Villa fans uh, to have watched, if legally, shall we say, uh, those four games. When it's mounting up like that, then, you know, there's something wrong, especially uh, in this point in time of uh, how the world is positioned. But we'll we'll talk about this more uh, when we quickly have a look at the uh, fans consultation group meeting, because it became apparent uh, in meeting Christian Persley that the clubs or broadcasters don't really care for these uh, PPV games because uh, they don't really want want to compromise the the TV rights, which is 
majority of most clubs income well all clubs income so they don't want to compromise that so it is a bit of a inconvenience but uh, we'll talk about that later Villa, you may remember, were once second in the table. I think our only chance of getting number one was if we uh, avoided defeat against Leeds. I don't think we'll see those heady heights again this season. But we are number two in uh, the ethical Premier League table, apparently, which uh, is awarded based on well-run clubs with a strong presence in their local community with other assets such as like ethical and green uh, credentials. This league is dubiously... uh, run by the FIFA Ethics and Regulations Watch Group, which, uh, considering uh, how ethical FIFA is, uh, you have to take with a pinch of salt, wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? Hmm. Yeah, it's an, it's, an, it's an oxymoron if you ever heard one, as are, as are some <laughs> of the other um, members of the, the top five. I mean, Burnley have managed to scrape in, in third place in this league, and it wasn't so long ago that um, their fans flew a plane over the Etihad with a certain message on it, so... Yeah, um, I don't know. That, they must have missed that. They got Manchester City at the bottom and followed one place above Wolves. That's probably correct. Anyway, we'll we'll take that one with a pinch of salt. But uh, sometimes you've got to take it where you can get it. Uh, speaking of the fan consultation group meeting, I think we'll probably cover this in a in a separate podcast uh, or even a, a patron extra. I think. Uh, as, as I mentioned, clubs aren't really bothered about uh, pay per view because it does complicate things in terms of the TV rights issue. I think what's going to happen there when they uh, decide what to do, I mean, Christian Perslow essentially said, you know, they're going to go off and vote on it and, you know, they're going to pretty much review it and see if there's any other ways to do it. But most likely there'll just be a price decrease and and that will be that. Uh, Also, uh, in terms of the the request to upload ID schemes, we did manage to get him to say that uh, all photos will be destroyed once uh, they are needed uh, for you know the covid situation once things return to uh, normal hopefully uh, then they will be destroyed in other news uh, the under 23s got beat 2-0 by Sunderland but they remain uh, in fifth place in the table so at least they're still in a playoff spot right uh, going on to uh, three points this is probably a topic that's being kicked into the long grass, obviously, because uh, supporters aren't around. But uh, the UK uh, Football Policing Unit uh, said it strongly objects to a review of drinking in view of the pitch law, which obviously goes back uh, it's like 30 years now, isn't it, since the Taylor report? Yeah, yeah. I think this relates to the potential of fans coming back to the stadium, doesn't it, and how... Uh, there could be a reshuffle of things because of concourse congregation and all all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it it just shows that it's not just as easy as hashtag let fans back in. There's forces on all sides here that, and there's hurdles that have to be overcome. I mean, it, it's a it's as simple as stopping crowding at the bars during halftime in the matches. So you think of any other event you go to, like a, a concert, ice hockey, basically any other sport. You, you go maybe before the match, get your drink or get your two and carry it to the your seat and sit there and drink in your seats. Obviously, yeah. because of the, like historical hooliganism, um, that law was brought in and the policing unit are still not willing to, to sort of have any sort of loosening of that law in any way. So that's going to be a major obstacle in getting even smaller crowds back into the grounds. Yeah, but I think that the 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 movement to potentially uh, get around this is, I mean, I've I've experienced it. I remember seeing Hertha Berlin, where you you know you get beers brought to your seat. I mean, this happens in America as well at NFL games, where you have people you know going around selling you you know crisps and 
and beer to your seat. So I think that's one, that's what the clubs are actually looking at, at a way of getting around this whole concourse situation. And I think this is what the UK football in policing unit is kind of objecting to. But uh, I mean, if you're saying that football fans here can't do it, then you're obviously uh, still classing football fans as the kind of the underclass and, you know, hooligans. But it is a way around uh, potentially freeing up concourses. Unfortunately, a lot of the football fans in this country that historic history isn't on our side though either yeah when it comes to like you know people throwing bottles and i mean you saw when england playing in the world cup whenever a goal went in when you saw it at like box park everyone just launching pints in the air and yeah i think i think that would become a norm in stadium pc bud there (laughs) with with the argument against it but yeah it's i mean it's a nuanced debate it's not like something we go yeah yeah let us i think it's a cultural shift isn't it i mean i'm all all for it having been to rugby and it's a heavy drinking in the stand culture but it's a different a different kind of atmosphere yeah but i think in in a social distance context where you haven't got that you know mass gathering uh, of you know that sheep yeah, i think that's a good idea that it you know, it's going to be a lot more placid isn't yes. it and yeah, yeah. uh you pr- probably it kind of is the way forward there i mean chris uh, christian perso did say at the meeting that you know the government have basically told the clubs to be looking at march as the earliest uh, in terms of fans returning i mean we've always said on this podcast i mean there's been the football supporters association campaign you know let us watch you know let fans back but you know we've already always said you know months ago that you know november december this isn't going to be the greatest days in terms of how this covid virus is going to uh, map out it's definitely going to be a crunch time so you know we can never see fans returning during this uh, time and you can't really send that mixed message of oh yeah we all allow you know 10,000 football fans back at villa park but uh, by the way you're not allowed you know round over people's houses and you're not allowed to mix it's like the, a mixed message and people will just start quoting the whole football thing just to justify whatever they're doing you know and probably rightly so so uh, it's definitely a spring of uh, next year i think yeah. in terms of uh, fans coming back meanwhile in Italy, the San Siro, which was uh, it was always going to get knocked down, wasn't it? But the fans tried to put in a uh, like a heritage uh, to basically get it refit. Rather, yeah, than the, the, the fans were sort of pushing. They they, they sort of they considered it a, a iconic stadium in world football, which of course it is. But they said it's it has like a cultural heritage factor to it, and it should be um, refurbished as opposed to rebuilt. But I think the argument of both clubs. Because of the way that yeah the layout of the stadium means you can't refurb it particularly well. It's easier to knock it down, shift the site slightly over, and then rebuild a, a new like stadium. Yeah, and, and rebuild the stadium and build a much better environment around the stadium. And the Italian Heritage Authority have declared the San Siro as having no cultural interest, so uh, the bulldozers are going in. Well, mm-hmm. they will when they can get it done. Traditionally in Italy, with all the red tape and stuff to try and get this stuff done, it could take years. I mean, I think Juve, the only team in Syria who own their own stadium, and that's why they're so much yeah. richer than everyone. Everyone, Everybody else's stadium is owned by the councils yeah. and all the corruption sure that goes on, etc. But it's it's time for the San Siro to come down. I mean, I've been and it's yeah, I've been. It's very imposing. It's historic. It's a brilliant stadium, but as a facility, once you've been to like the new Spurs ground or Wembley or any of these modern stadiums, it is so dated. Point number three. I think this happened Rotherham versus Sheffield Wednesday uh, last week. A drone was uh, caught flying over a st- over the stadium, and play was suspended by the referee for four minutes. We were thinking about what this potentially could be. 
But maybe this was, uh, I don't know, the EFL's attempt at uh, upgrading their iFollow package so they would have more than one camera angle. Yeah, you get the 360 view. Maybe, I mean, or maybe it was just a fan trying to avoid having to pay £10 iFollow. Yeah, maybe he had like a Facebook Live going on his phone. <laughs> I mean, if it was a Birmingham game, it could have been one of these My Old Man Said podcast listeners trying to get a uh, insight into the Scott Hogan touch count. But uh, all all you need there is just a camera on the bench because I don't think he's <laughs> don't think he's got off the bench. Or traditionally, uh, the treatment a, table. <laughs> yeah, or the treatment table. Yeah. Speaking of the Blues, actually, uh, they managed to end their 322 minute goal drought uh, when Gary Gardner scored. Uh, I think it was a late winner against Huddersfield. And then I think Gary Gardner is having a bit of a renaissance, actually, because he came on as a sub against Preston uh, at the weekend, 84th minute sub, and scored the winner within a minute. Back-to-back wins for the Blues as uh, Villa have back-to-back defeats. It's a worrying trend, that one, isn't it? It's one we don't want to get used to. Yeah. Anyway, before we uh, get into uh, the discussion about the Saints game... Uh, just a big thank you, as usual, to the My Old Man Said patrons. Thank you very much for supporting the show. Uh, if you want to become a My Old Man Said patron to get access to Match Club and also extra podcasts, etc., please do go to myomansaid.com and click on the, the patron link for more details there. Uh, massive thank you to uh, Hazim Mansour, Adam Austin and Cyprian McAvey for uh, actually becoming annual uh, patrons uh, when you become an annual patron, you save 15%, which is two free months. So thank you very much indeed for uh, signing up. And uh, please do, if you can at this time, uh, become a patron and join us also in Match Club, uh, which takes place live when Villa play Premier League game. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, moving on to the main bit, the uh, the seven goal thriller, or what did you call it? Seven goal? Buzz killer. Buzz killer. Dean Smith, I, th- I thought the way the game finished after Southampton 
admittedly took their foot off the pedal i mean this game was a was a beating really it was they were four nil up game over the fact that we pulled it back to four three i think i mean it, it makes you feel better about it because i think i said on the last podcast i would not be surprised if southampton won this game so on that basis you know you get beat by a goal by southampton it's not the end of the world if you get beat four nil after you've been beaten three nil by Leeds, then you've got a bit of a concern uh, in terms of where villa are going so it took took a bit of a sting out of it and i think it kind of gave uh, dean smith a bit of a uh, get out of jail card there i mean he said uh, after the game it's a hard game to decipher they have a specialist free kick taker and he's put one on the plate for the first goal and scored two great goals we were three nil down at half time we weren't at our best but it was a bitty half with lots of stoppages we had to try and change the game and if if it had gone on another five minutes we might have won it never mind get a point that's mm. bullshit bit of a stretch <laughs> bit of a stretch Dino come on it was uh, I mean we got the third one it was the last kick of the game basically and you know Southampton uh, were all already on the coach on the way back to uh, the south coast well they were on the beach we have about what 65 minutes gone yeah this is the first time we've lost consecutive Premier League games since uh, I think it's Project Restart Liverpool United having gone eight without defeat. Just in terms of uh, other quotes, uh, Ralph hassan Hutti, the Saints coach, did say uh, he was speaking up Villa a lot, actually, before the game as well. He said, uh, after the game, he said they have a fantastic mentality to carry on playing and not a lot of teams will win at Villa Park, apart from the last two teams to visit, Ralph. Three of the last four teams have won, actually, if you include Stoke. He, He did admit they stopped playing after four... 4-0 4-0 and uh, you know you have to admit the score did uh, flatter Villa big time but anyway that's that's the context uh, going into the game as as I think the last thing I said uh, in match club before we went into the game was this was a 50-50 and uh, soon it became apparent that uh, there wasn't really a percentage chance of us winning it after I mean we kind of gifted goals I mean you look at the ends and stats and you can warp how this game played out if you just look at the stats and the score and Dean Smith's quotes. Yeah, yeah, if you didn't watch it, you'd think it was a really close game, wouldn't you? Well, not not even that. I mean, if you didn't know the score and you looked at the stats, suddenly out of nowhere, Villa had 56% possession uh, at half time. Uh, I think the Saints had 55%. So you can see the swing there. Shots, Villa 19, Saints 9. Shots on target, 10 Villa. Four for Southampton. Corners, 11 Villa. One for Southampton. That sounds like a massacre. <laughs> That's like like you'd put all your money on a Villa win there if you just got those four four stats. Well, you'd think their goalkeeper had a great game, and of course he actually did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, everything they hit went in, especially in the first half. And yeah. they did have two goals disallowed as well. Especially I mean, when the first one was farcical. Yeah, the, I mean, that's the starting point here. They uh, pretty much scored with two and a half minutes. Uh, they were 1-0 up, but that was ruled off uh, by VAR. When you looked at that line for the offside, I mean, the feet, are on on side they're level it's just that he was leaning and there's he's kind of shoulders uh, in an offside position so the letter of the law i mean as soon as you saw the replay you thought yeah he is offside when they when they stilled it but in a game if there was no var and the referee gave that you would you, you wouldn't grumble about it no and that was their one corner so i'm glad they didn't get any more <laughs> yeah some of the uh, i mean our defending of set plays was uh, shocking i mean one of the free kicks where I think it was Mings wasn't jumping, was he? Was that the first free kick? That was the 
the third goal, wasn't it? Where the as soon as you see the free kick, and uh, strangely, I remember we, we we said this in match, we both times Villa's wall looked quite deep. Yeah, this is what I was saying. Like when you set up a wall, you set it up within ten yards, and you let the referee walk you back. And then when the referee turns his back to tell the taker that he can take it, that's when you creep up again another yard or two. And I don't think Villa really uh, they're not they're not being streetwise in that position because they they seem really far away. It's it's almost like he had a clean shot on goal. Yeah, I mean the the, the second goal, you just hold your hands up on a goal like that and you go, Do you know what? Fair play, brilliantly executed, you know, whatever. The third one though is disappointing, I think, because Mings doesn't jump, which is frustrating considering he's one of the tallest players in your team because you think actually if he jumps because Ward Prowse is so close to the edge of the penalty area, there's no way with the pace that he hits the ball at that that would be getting up and down and over the wall. It wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's not like he's just like clipped it and you know got it over the wall, which you see, you see like I remember like Edin, um, Edin Hazard used to do that quite a lot when he was in close. Um, he hasn't, he's, he's proper spank, he's spanked down. it, hasn't he, in the top corner. And you think if you stand your ground and jump, it's hitting your head and going out for a corner, probably. Or deflecting mm-hmm. into the other top-hand corner. Well, yeah, that's it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, but in the first half, the, you know, the Saints had 55% of the possession. And they're a team that normally have more possession, I think. But that 55 is actually above what their average of the season has been. Right. So that did, I think, as a stat, that actually did sum up what was happening. Well, they played well and we didn't. It's as simple as that, isn't it, really? Yeah, just, our, midfield, our midfield just got dismantled. I mean, McGinn, John McGinn, had eight touches in the first half, yeah, which, wasn't, which is wasn't incredible. In the game, was he? I mean, he got back into it more in the second half, but this is something that was concerning us against Leeds in the first half here. Second half in the Leeds game, first half here, that 90 minutes, what happened to our midfield? A midfield that looks very good on paper, but on grass, it's uh, it seems to be lacking. Can you put your finger on why? It's it's just not clicking. There's something. I mean, yeah, Smith's comments after the match. He said um, in the second half, we told Ross Ross Barkley to play as a number ten, and we did look better in the second half. But that that should be decided before you go out onto the pitch. I mean, you can't leave. I mean, Douglas Louise plays as the, as the defensive midfielder, so he's set. But the other three are just sort of allowed right play as you want. You know, the, the the need to be more set in their positions and have sort of a role. I mean, it's okay yeah. having an interchangeable front two or three, but not you know in the centre of the park where they need to know what they're doing. Because we've been mullered by both of those uh, Southampton and Leeds midfield. I we think they have worse players. Yeah, I think what what we've learned is we've seen in the last probably three games how much of an anomaly the Liverpool game was and how poor defensively Liverpool were that day because teams have seen us now and just said you know what we're going to drop off them like if we play a high line Villa can murder us and and, and teams have just they've seen you know this is the thing you know we talked about after the Liverpool game where you know, you'd rather you know go go underneath the radar a little bit but everybody has seen what Villa can do and what they can't now it's it's, it's it, it seems quite obvious how to get at us well it, it seems to be obvious that they've worked out our zonal marking because I don't know how you can get a beast like Vestergaard, like how how you can get a centre back? You know, it's an old, it's the old trick where you just kind of hover, you know, out of range of markers, and then it's obviously pre pre programmed that he's going to play it to the back stick, and you're going to suddenly, from looking disinterestedly, you know, make you run, and he's matched up against McGinn. So how can a centre back be matched up against you know one of our shorter midfielders? This kind of zonal marking, if they've watched 
Villa's game so far this season. They know how it works and they'll make, you know, they'll take their corners accordingly and, and play to it. So I can't understand why your centre backs don't take out their main two aerial threats. No, we just, we seem to have a, a set plan and we don't adapt to the team playing against us. We, that's what the way we're going to defend. And it's the other teams, unfortunately, at the moment are changing and accommodating for that because i mean we've been very successful uh up until this point but i think it's now come to the the stage where oppositions are you know doing their due diligence on how we're defending and what our defensive organization is and we just mentioned the midfielder they don't seem to be uh chipping in either i mean especially in that leeds game you know the the covering of our fullbacks was pretty much non-existent you've seen it with a lot of teams and a lot of different games already that when all the teams like Villa have been an example the last couple of weeks. Everton the last two or three weeks as well. You look at how Man United and various of the other, these other so-called big teams play. Liverpool. When you get past these teams' press, there aren't that many teams defensively so far that I've seen that aren't there for the taking at the back. The fact that Villa were woeful against Leeds for long periods and we still should have scored four. The fact that we were outclassed against Southampton scored three, probably could have had more. It kind of speaks for itself. Like Nobody is defensively sound. If anything, the first few weeks, we looked like we might be the team that could be, but then you look at our defensive We were record. the only ones, weren't we? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, you know, but, but then you look down our results, especially at Villa Park. You know, We've conceded two against Liverpool, three against Leeds, four against Southampton, yeah. lost to Stoke. It's it's kind of like, actually, defensively, we'd, we when we thought we turned a corner, but I hate to make decisions based off stats, but actually the stats would suggest otherwise. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a. I mean, we were talking before the show. There's this. We, you know, people are looking for trends behind closed doors. And I remember right back when the Bundesliga kicked off. Uh, you know, during COVID, the the first you know league, major league, shall I say, to uh, get going. We were looking for trends, and there was a lot of away wins, and that didn't really play out so much uh, in terms of the Premier League as you know as distinctly as it did initially in the Bundesliga but this season so far if you just look at the league uh, there's only one 100% home team and that's Liverpool there's only two unbeaten home teams that's Liverpool and Everton you go to the away stats first of all there's four 100% teams including Villa away from home and there's seven unbeaten away teams now Normally, that would be reversed, would it not? There'd be seven unbeaten home teams, not just uh, two. So there is something in this. I would venture just based on, you know, when you look at the away record tables and the home record tables. Yeah, you're certainly starting to to see that, aren't you? I mean, Villa's away record so far has been generally pretty good. I mean, I know we've obviously played more more home games We've only so played far, two yeah. games, really, yeah. I mean, if we beat Arsenal at the Emirates, then you're thinking, oh, there is something in this. And you look at United's, uh, United's home record, they haven't won a game yet at home. I mean, usually there's 80,000 people there putting pressure on the referee, pressure on other people, and, you know, they sort of overperform at home. But at the minute, they, they can't buy a win at home. But like us, they've won both their away games. Yeah, you're just, you're just getting weird and wacky results most weeks at the moment. It's it, I think it's this is going to be one of those crazy seasons where every week you're going to get a result pulled out the hat that's just everyone looks at and goes, fucking hell, what happened there? Going in at half time. It was game over, really, wasn't it? There was no way. Yeah, uh, the third the third goal kills the game. We had to score a very early first half goal to uh, have any chance, but unfortunately, uh, they got first blood in the second half. Well, Ings scored a worldie. Each of their goals, you just think, well, fair play. It was brilliantly executed. 
you know, they were, they were clinical. I mean, Ings's goal uh, was like an improved version of Watkins' goal against Liverpool, wasn't it? When he cuts yeah. in from the right, it was. I mean, it was further out yeah. and uh, you know, sensational. I mean, you feel finish. you feel really sorry for Martinez because actually he's been one of our real standout performers in in the first few weeks of the season, and actually he could do nothing about all four of the goals. Yeah, no, there was a stat earlier on. Uh, I think you know while we're watching the game where he'd only yet touched the ball eight times, and four of those was to pick the ball out of the net. Yeah. Well, we did, yeah, we did say in the last show, um, Leeds created dozens of chances and could only take a few. And we said Southampton will be a completely different animal; they won't create as many, but they they will take their chances. And look what happened: yeah, four, four yeah. shots on target, four goals. No, absolutely uh, spot on. I, I don't see this. I don't know if because uh, I don't follow numpties on social media. I don't know what it is, but apparently there's been a big meltdown and people are saying Smith out. I don't know if that's reality or just people commenting I on. I think that's you know, nonsense, just, to be honest. A small bunch of idiots, but uh, it's hardly panic stations at this stage. I do I mean, quite laugh, you know, at the when people go, well, uh, you know, last week they were saying, well, it's you know, twelve out of fifteen points, and now it's like, oh, well, uh, it's twelve out of eighteen points is a good start. You kind of don't want to go, well, it's twelve out of twenty-one points. I, I don't think that's a way of looking at it, just to justify where Villa are week in, week out. As we've said, you know, get, let's go ten games, ten, twelve games, then look at uh, what the scores are on the doors to. Uh, ascertain any trends or uh, you know where we actually are because the whole the whole league's just crazy it's uh, anybody can pretty much beat anybody i would venture the only teams that are looking like even title wise at this moment i would say liverpool looking like they could do you know what i think i i uh, predicted they would probably retain their title but spurs look potential to at least have a uh, title challenge should we say but apart from that anything can happen i think I mean, who'd have thought City would concede five at home? United have conceded six. Liverpool have conceded seven at Villa Park. It's you know, who'd have thought Everton had have started the way they would, or Villa did? It's just the whole thing. Normally, over the course of a season, these things level out, but you do get surprise packages, and you wonder who's going to have that sustained period of you know being strong. I mean, you know, obviously, Ings went off for Southampton. You think if they keep their team together on paper, they could do some damage this year. But if you take Ings out of that team, I think they're a very different beast going forward. Yeah, well, I think it's behind, you know, behind closed doors. It, it's a different game in terms of players mentally getting themselves up for it. There's certain players that like, you know, rise to the occasion of having a big crowd there. There's other players that, you know, we were talking last season about this phenomena of training ground players. So mentally, it's a completely different game, which you can't really quantify with your knowledge of how players are previously. And you know, this is a situation where it's, it's like a placebo product. Uh, is what I've been thinking, it's not the real thing. No. And you know, talking to Christian Perslow, uh when we were talking about paying per view, you know, he he said, look, you know, at, at this time, surely football isn't the most important thing. And you know, he was talking about you know visiting f- family is something you can't do. You know, you can't uh, go to the cinema, and and he was dialing down the importance of us being able to watch these games and you think well hang on a minute you know what do you think season ticket holders are doing and why, why do you think Villa fans buy all the merch and everything it's because they're invested in this club and they want to see the games because yes you could get all existential about the pandemic and you know nothing uh, means anything in terms of sports etc but at the same time every fan apart from those 
in the UK, North Korea and Saudi Arabia can watch football without any fuss, can watch these games without any fuss. What a illustrious company. Yeah, so this is what we're talking about. We're not talking about, what, there's more important things in life than football. We are talking about, well, everybody else in the whole planet can, in the middle of this pandemic can watch this football. And by the way, you know, being having this distraction of watching Villa would be a positive thing in, in, you know, in, in these times. But the main thing is, Everybody else can watch it apart from North Korea, UK, Saudi Arabia. So what's going on? The main thing is they are protecting their TV packages. To quote his own words, he said this, the PPV income, which some people have, you know, saying, you know, gr- greedy clubs, greedy Premier League. He, he said it's like it's not even 1% of their income. And he said it's tiny. He used the word tiny. You know, you could also say pandemic. What's the point of even playing football? Surely it's not that important. And it's not. No. But. They are playing it in, simply for the money. It's to fulfill those contracts. Because personally, was very, you know, he said, and I think this is in the notes, where he said, you know, they were very happy because not only did they stay up, but they fulfilled their 85% of, you know, that TV contract. So as a business, they're still functioning. That's why they didn't have to furlough staff and could keep people in jobs. I mean, there's this thing when we got relegated, at that time, they reassessed and renewed the TV rights contract and just the amount of money more that the average club club got on average basically was more than a club's average income from attendance so boil it down they don't need they didn't need the fans the next season they could just have an empty stadium and they'd make the same money as they did this previous season just because the TV rights money would cover it and now you know that was a hypothetical scenario now we are in the reality of that hypothetical situation so they don't need fans there so that's why they're not that bothered about uh, pay-for-view games pay-for-view games only came about as personally reminded us because fans lobbied the government to say well actually we'd like to see these games you know some of us are season ticket holders so we have no access to these games so to their annoyance the government said can you show these games the only way they could show them, uh, or you know, or say they said at short notice, was on the existing format of box office, where they know that you know if, if twenty five thousand people suddenly just sign on to watch the the Manchester United game, they can handle that capacity because they can do that on boxing, etc. It's a tried tested method, so that's why they use that uh, vehicle to like show the games. Now, I think just where they fucked up was on the price point because uh, you know if they just put it at £10, which the reason why they went higher than 10 was because the EFL pitched up at £10. But these games are recorded anyway. It's not as if they're doing anything extra. It's just like the you know the production end of it in terms of uh, how people access it. It's, you know, physically they don't need extra cameras, etc. And because the EFL pitched up at ten, they thought, well, uh, well, it's got to be fifteen then because we're a bigger league. Now, if they pitched up at ten straight away, then there wouldn't have been this fuss. People would have you know still streamed. There'd have been a shrug of the shoulders, you know, money grabbers, blah blah blah. But there wouldn't have been protests as there has been. Now they couldn't just turn it to 10 because you're just thinking, well, I'm sorry, but you've pissed us off already. I mean, if they went for five, I think there's no problem there. But they've got to do something. But it's like, how does that £5 choice compromise the uh, TV rights deals? And this is why there's football on at the moment. It's all right first, per, you know, for Perslow to say, well, you know, why do people need to watch these games? There's more important things, but there's more important things in football per se. And the only reason that these games are being played are just to fulfill these contracts ultimately. You know, just talk about the unpredictability of it all. So it's, it's like not the real thing, is it? It's not real. It's like Pepsi Zero or Coca-Cola Zero. It's not the real 
Kayla at the moment. But I mean, we, we no. saw, didn't we, from the very first game, that Sheffield United one, as soon as you saw the first sort of five or ten minutes of the game, you just thought, this just isn't the one. This is shit. Like, this isn't the Premier League at its, you know, five-star product. This just yeah. this isn't, you know, people are paying however much it is for, like, you know, a Sky subscription, BT Sport, there's bits on Amazon Prime and whatever else people pay for. And you just think, if the clubs are getting paid and the league is getting paid, then you need to look after your, and I hate using the word consumer, but in the in the broader sense, we are consumers. Because I, I, I only support Villa, like, I have no interest in spending £15 to watch Burnley v West Brom or whereas if there's another game on Sky on a Monday night and it's, say, Chelsea v Liverpool, I'll go, well, I don't support either of them, but I'll watch it. But I'm not yeah. going to pay extra to watch anybody other than my team and I'm not going to pay extra to watch my team. What worries me about it is, I mean, there doesn't seem to be very much ebb and flow in any of these matches. If you take our match, Southampton switched on, really up for it. Put Villa on the back foot, and I think you maybe even said in Match Club, David, I only see one winner in this today, and you were right. The matches, I, I, there's been very few comebacks, and I don't see no, nothing really. Surpri- I mean, surprising results, but the surprising results were games that were over straight away. You know, knife went in hard, and that was it done. Yeah, I mean, so you can pump up the fake noise all you want, but that you're just watching something that's fake at the end of the day. So this is the price thing. If this pandemic carries on and it gets to the renegotiation of the TV contracts, this money is going to go down. They're not. It's not going to go up like it has been doing every time they renegotiate because the product is not there. This is not, as we just said, that's not the product that they sold to the world. So this is not the product that supporters should be paying at this point £15 to watch a game. And this is an argument that's, that's not you know, mentioned uh, in all this discourse. This is a, this is an inferior product. If you want to break it down to consumer and product, this is inferior. The only thing that, uh, from a Villa point of view, is just that 7-2 win against Liverpool. That doesn't happen every every season. So, I mean, what I'm saying is the tr- you know truth in terms of the argument, but then somebody will say, well, what about Villa beating Liverpool? You know, 7-2, I'd pay for that. But that is an anomaly in every sense. But this is an inferior product, so we shouldn't be paying £15. And they shouldn't be saying, oh, it's superior to the EFL. The EFL pay 10 Well, you know, they're, they're getting ripped off and that I, I follow s- service seems to have so many hiccups and problems if you just listen to uh, lower league fans moaning about it all the time. Either way, it's behind closed doors. Football, I mean, I can only comment on sort of the industry I come from and the, the, the music industry is looking at it in terms of you aren't going to get, you know, Coldplay or whoever going and playing on a live stream and charging top dollar for it. There's very yeah. few artists who can do that, but everybody knows that the audience makes the event and everybody is yeah. aware of that. And also because I think behind closed doors, football is a relatively new thing for the most part compared to, say, other places that would do like a stream like gaming, for example, like, you know, Apps like Twitch, etc., have lived in that world for quite a while, and the music industry is catching up. And football is kind of pretty late to the party in the grand scheme of live streaming. And I just think that people have been so used to being able to consume their content in a broader sense via YouTube or Twitch or all these things for free that to then chart to make something premium when actually it's an inferior product is just backwards thinking yeah i mean because anybody who, who knows the ways of the pirates uh, have you know have been streaming football for for over a decade now
Anyways, just going back, uh, I think the comeback, just to wrap off that game, the comeback did uh, kind of make you feel better about the way the game ended. As uh, Hassan Hutti did say, I mean, he complimented our fight back. And there's a lot of, I mean, normally that game would probably, once Southampton got went up 4-0, you would probably put your money on that would be the final result because Southampton would have lost interest, game over. Villa backs are broken game over it just peters out but credit has to go for Villa for sticking to it even though Southampton had given up as I said normally those games peter out on both sides but at least Villa kept going and uh, walked away with some pride I mean I remember in match club we said what can you possibly do the game's over this is at half time we said the game's over and we just said well you got to go and win the second half really to at least create some kind of momentum for your next game and they did do that I mean they won it 3-1 and that was the best they could do, I thought, without getting a miracle point. I thought that was as good as it can be in terms of momentum and uh, even morale. Yeah, I think even like little little subplots like, you know, Trezeguet coming off the bench, who'd have been very disappointed to get injured. Traore, obviously, be injury and a bit of form, didn't take his opportunity. Trezeguet came off the bench and, and really stuck a claim saying, actually, do you know what, Smith? You're not going to drop me again. You know, I've I've earned my place now. You know, came on, played really well, put a good shift in, had could have had a hat trick potentially, had three pretty good mm-hmm. chances. And uh, and the fact that obviously Watkins ended up stepping up, scoring the penalty, just just gets you know gets your striker putting the ball in the net, and those little those little strands are important. Yeah. Any closing thoughts on the game, Mister Mandalorian? People disagreed with me in Match Club. It's I think we're starting to be a bit careless with their chances when need to start taking them i mean it's okay to say that southampton eased off in the second half and the dead i'm not arguing with that but defenses don't usually ease off they want the clean sheet so the keepers and we have to start taking the chances that we're getting i mean trezeguet had three presentable chances he did his best and and all of them i mean it was keep keepers blocks things like that Barclays had a couple where he's fired wide or fired over the bar when need to put her chances away. I mean, you've seen what happened when a team does put their chances away in Southampton. They only, they only need to do it two or three times, and that's it. Game over. Yeah. Even at 3-0, if we took some of those chances before they got the fourth, then suddenly there is that possibility of a, of a fight back. And you've seen the dynamic chat, how the dynamic in our team can change when we don't score first. You know, you saw it when we took the lead against Fulham. We, we pushed on. We pushed on against Liverpool. Obviously, we nicked the game against Leicester. You saw in the... You know, that might be an important thing in terms of how Villa respond and you know not letting games get away from us, which we've done in the last couple of matches. Yeah, uh, just little bits. Uh, when, when we got that penalty, uh, it was a bit weird watching it. I mean, this is one of the things where you wish you were at the game because uh, Grealish looked like he was taking the ball to take the penalty and kind of shrugging off Watkins. And then the next clip, because they were showing a, a replay, was uh, the next thing you know, it's uh, Watkins taking the penalty. So it seems to be that Grealish did give it the ball up for for Watkins. And because, uh, you know, when you look at the big thing about Watkins last season was uh, all his goals, his 26 goals, none of them were penalties. So it, it's not as if we bought an out-and-out penalty taker. So it was interesting that Grealish actually did give it to him. But when you saw that clip, you saw McGinn pulling Grealish away, didn't you? Yeah, right at the end. It's, it's a strange one. I'll, I'll be interested to see if Smith or whoever comes out and says anything about that. 
during the week. Yeah, I mean, uh, listeners to the show might have seen more highlights than we have in terms of after the uh, after the event, so you might have had a better view of it. But uh, at the moment, there's a bit of a question mark still in our eyes anyway. Any other weird little things before we continue? Well, I mean, the only thing, the closing thing I would say is this has all happened, our losses. We seem to get derailed once uh, we dropped Henry Lansbury from the uh, the 25 Premier League squad. It's just so a sign, isn't it? I don't know if that's connected. But, he was uh, he was the glue. <laughs> yeah. He was the hair gel that held it all together. <laughs> a, that's our conspiracy theory, anyway. Right. Speaking of uh, conspiracy theories, it's time for underrated or overrated. Right. Underrated or overrated is where we look back at uh, recent Villa history and uh, pick a player. It used to be we used to pick three players, but it just just took too long. So then we picked two players, and that took too long. So now we just pick one player, and the player this week is Marcus Olbeck, Swedish international, goal scoring machine on the international scene. He used to be on TV every time there was a European Championship and World Cup. And I always remember you'd look at the team he played for and you're like, who the fuck are they? Because he, he never really played for anybody big until he turned up at Aston Villa. Why did we buy him? We bought him because we got him cheap. Um, there was a, <laughs> Basically, there was a, yeah. Yeah. There was a special clause in his contract that for one month, like a one month only sale in summer 2002, <laughs> starting on the 15th of May, that he would cost two million. So Graham Taylor jumped in and uh, Olaf Melberg, who was already at Villa, um, did the sweet talking. Great, Graham Taylor, who, uh, can you remember when we got pipped to, was it World Cup qualification by Sweden? And Graham Taylor went on this thing about how Sweden would take over football because they are bigger and stronger human beings can't remember his exact quotes but he was saying how they were bigger than us and stronger than us and how it was like some kind of master race that was coming to take over the world so he's obviously a big fan of the swedes anyway sorry (laughs) (laughs) yeah this this was this was in the era wasn't it it was a dreadful season for villa that year when graham taylor had made the mistake of going back you know and everyone says never go back and he did and that year when he replaced Gregory and the, the team were just crap. You know, it's when the, the Blues did us Blues twice. Came, yeah, Blues first came back up and beat us twice. Albion came up and we were in a bit of a relegation scrap by the end of the season, which actually all back pulled us out of. He, he scored the goal against Sunderland, I think it was the last home game, that, that, that kept us up. That was probably his biggest moment for Villa and scoring a couple of impressive goals against Chelsea I remember as well the same season but his his career never really got going did it and Villa through that era he was just he, he, argued, he was never played, the main he, man yeah. yeah we obviously had Dublin leading the line and Vassell yes it was six six goals in 35 for Villa that was over two seasons over two it, seasons yeah yeah I mean he started his career and he finished his career at the Gothenburg team was it oh well, how, do, how do you say it all right it's like troglodyte or something, isn't it? All right, all right. Yeah, he was just—he was just never the main man at Villa. Of course, at that point, you'd have had Dublin, Vassell. You'd have had, if I remember rightly, uh, Pablo Angel would have been in that season when he had an had an off year in between two good years. But he didn't get a fair crack of the whip. I mean, he was no. always coming on as a sub. Uh, and if you if you added up his playing time, I mean, I think his goal haul would be pretty. Uh, you know, it'd be out. Let's say, you know passable shall we say because he never really got a fair crack of the whip 
But, you know, as, as a uh, watching him for Sweden, I mean, his goal scoring record is almost like one in two for Sweden. I think he scored 30 goals in. Yeah, he was a finisher, like, wasn't he? 74 appearances. So he was, he was up with like Larson. And, but he was seen, seen as reasonably potent on the international scene. I mean, although saying that, a lot of those goals were against lesser teams. I think his biggest goal uh, was when he scored against England in that 2 2 draw in the uh, 2006 World Cup. I remember watching that in Berlin, Brandenburg Gate, actually. Yeah, it was a famous goal. It was the 2000th goal scored in World Cup history. Villa players yeah. have a habit of scoring goals like that. So, I mean, this was a player who had ability, I would venture, even though. He hadn't played for uh, the biggest clubs in Europe, and you know we got him in a, in a special one month sale. At the risk of offending any Swedish listeners, he, he does share a lot in common with um, flat pack furniture that you see in a in a catalogue or in somebody else's house. It looks good there and seems like a good idea, but whenever you get it home, you just can't build it or you just can't fit it into your <laughs> living room. There's always just something missing. Yeah, that was that's it. I mean, we always we all, when he was at Villa, you always wanted him brought on. You always wanted him to get the chance. But yeah, and there's other stories that he, whenever David O'Leary came in and he O'Leary did like the look of him, he he got a slight injury and O'Leary said, "Don't be going on international duty." But he went on international duty and made the injury worse, and that happened twice. So after that, O'Leary just you know. That was that he lost trust in him. Well, O'Leary had a had a penchant for fucking people off, didn't he? To be fair, that was his thing. <laughs> the fans, well, the fans, <laughs> aren't we? <laughs> yeah, fans, players, you name it. After his glory with Leeds, uh, he just lost interest in pleasing people. But yeah, no, I mean, ultimately, Albeck, international player above club player in terms of his achievements and, and what he was you know, known for and recognised uh, in Possibly his career. Possibly similar to uh, Darius Vassell as well. Yeah, although I think there's more of a legacy there yeah. because it stretches over 70 games and I don't know how many Darius Vassell scored, but no, that kind of, that. It, was a, it was a short period of time, Vassell, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, what happened next? Well, he went on to be coach or assistant coach of the Sweden Swedish national team, but at the time he did get involved in a bit of scandal. Now he was acquitted; there wasn't any, there was nothing to do with him. But he was involved in a bribery scandal uh, in his native Sweden. Uh, nothing to do with football, which is a surprise when you hear bribery. But um, it was about overcharging for city-funded construction projects in return for private favours for city officials. So <laughs> a, bit, a bit of shady going on, maybe putting a few flat pack houses up or something like that. But no. All's well that ends well. Um, he's currently working um, for MD Management, which is named after Martin Dallin, who was the, f- the famous double act, Dallin, yeah. Brolin, Dallin, Brolin goal. Yeah. You all remember. And he, he looks like an agent. I know that's the wrong thing to say. He looks a bit like uh, our own Mr. Lang. He's got that sort of the smile and the glint Could in be his Lang's eye. brother, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who's, who's the best, Darling and Brolin or Larson and Allback? Oh, Henrik Larson's class, mate. Yeah, Larson carried all back. Yeah, I'd have, I'd have just played Larson on his own. <laughs> <laughs> Darlin and Brolin were, were were very formidable as a duo as well. I mean, they, they're the ones that got Sweden to the semi final, did they not? Yeah, of the Darlin. World Cup. And then yeah. Brolin, Brolin went to Leeds and discovered Yorkshire Pies or something and got quite yeah, large. I remember, I remember he came on, didn't he, in the 96 Cup final when they were ready. I think they were like 2-0 down or something and he got absolute pelters from the Villa fans, didn't he? Yeah. It was hilarious. All right, anyway, to the uh, the verdict. Marcus Holbeck, underrated or overrated? I'm, I'm going to say underrated because whenever he did get his chance, I mean, if you go onto YouTube and look at those finishes against Chelsea and the one against Sunderland, 
there is a player there. He just didn't. He couldn't string together a run of games, and other players come in that were more favoured than him, or some would say better yeah. than him, and he just he just didn't get the run. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a fair estimation. I think he, he probably was a little bit underrated. He, you know, you never got the feeling he was. You know, unlike last week's pod, he wasn't disruptive like Alpi, or he, he just never got the the crack at the whip that maybe deserved. And then you know, maybe he didn't take some of the chances he, when he got them. But I don't think. You know, for the money again, he wasn't. You know, he wasn't a rip off. It's just a shame. You know, it didn't work out. But so be underrated or overrated? Yeah, I'd say underrated. Yeah, I would say underrated as well because I always remember it was one of those players where I just thought, give him a chance, give him, you know, give him a run because you know he can finish. He he always used to thump the ball, didn't he, into the uh, the back of the net. That Sunderland finish that that kept us up on the the last home game was a cracking finish, and the that overhead kick he scored against uh, Chelsea. Both or both of those goals were cracking finishes. You thought we've got a really good player here, yeah. right? Did somebody just mention Alpi again? I, I received an email uh, about Alpi after he appeared in the last show. Uh-oh. I thought we, I thought we would get emails uh, threatening our lives, but uh, luckily not. So I received an email uh, on the topic of Alpi sent by uh, Craig Andrew Miles, <laughs> who out the blue uh, sent the email saying. Uh, my ex-wife sent a speculative letter to AVFC asking for a freebie for our wedding in the year 2000. She received a claret and blue frilly garter signed by Alpi. She wore it. It seems terribly weird now. <laughs> <laughs> in the context of uh, our underrated and overrated, which uh, if you haven't listened to, uh, go back to episode 119. Is it the type of thing you'd frame? <laughs> I don't know. Probably sell it on Turkish eBay. I th- Take the money while you can. Well, mm-hmm. I would probably wait until five years' time when he's like running the world as a politician. Well, what's left of the world? Yeah, well, he's destroyed the world, and you're looking for dirt <laughs> on him. Yeah, yeah. After he's dis- destroyed the world, uh, sell it on eBay. If anyone else has any Alpi-related stories, please don't you know hesitate to email in. Yeah, but no death threats, please. <laughs> anyway, yeah, only only Alpi would have uh, been able to sign a, a garter for a wedding. It, it wouldn't seem right anybody else. You kind of feel that. It, all the story needed was him turning up on the wedding day and causing a causing a scene, shushing the priest. Right. Anyway, <laughs> let's uh, get out here. Please do uh, subscribe to the show, whatever platform you listen to, so you know when the, our unpredictably released podcast uh, appears first. Do join us as a patron if you can, so you can join us for uh, Sunday night fever for the uh, Arsenal game, which is next. I think Sunday evenings turned out to be all right, is it? Yeah. Yeah, we don't mind a Sunday evening game. Was that because the Liverpool happened on that time? It did. Yeah, Yeah, we don't mind Sunday nights. There's no better way to go full on to the first proper week of lockdown uh, with a a scalp of Arsenal, hopefully. Anyway, uh, just go to myomansaid.com and check out Patreon link there. Any final thoughts before we uh, disappear, gentlemen? Any no, words of it, wisdom to appease uh, breakdowns out there over Villa losing back-to-back games after looking like they were going to romp home and win the title? Well, we've been saying it for a while. Just, just enjoy the process. I hate that. That's is that up there with project <laughs> process? Oh, you hate everything. Yeah. Well, let's find some good words, shall we? Project. Well, they're not our words. Well, this one is Bud's word. Process. Process. I, I just, I'm just thinking of like factory with like. Uh, Bakewell tarts coming down the conveyor belt, and you've got like to put Bakewell them in. tarts. <laughs> you've got to put them into their package. That's the process. 
Still sounds a bit Mr. Kipling. <laughs> well, no, just uh, enjoy this, uh, as we called it, placebo season, because it doesn't feel real. And I think it's so unpredictable. That's what's probably the in- most interesting thing yeah, about and it. It's, I think it's going to continue to be. There's going to be goals, I think. It's just going to be chaos in general. There is no middle ground with Villa anymore, is there? We're either beating Liverpool 7-2 or almost losing 7-2. <laughs> Yeah, I think that will probably continue, uh, really. So uh, let's see what happens. It should be uh, entertaining uh, whichever way it goes. Right, anyway, until next time, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.